Chapter Five of God Goes to Murderers Row by Reverend M. Raymond, O.C.S.O. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Solitary confinement. Christmas brought mixed emotions to Mrs. Leona Penny. Christian that she was, the birthday of Christ gave her a peace, joy, and hope no other day can give. But mother that she was, the day brought an indescribable ache to her heart because a child of her own had been sentenced to death. It was true that he wrote brave letters, and that his lawyers had appealed his case. But the mother's intuition is sharper than the cleverest legal mind, so her head told her what her heart did not want to believe. Tom's days were numbered. Shortly after the holy day and holiday, she began making plans for a visit to her son. For a long letter enumerating the many gifts and visitors he had received, told her that public sentiment had shifted. Now that the trials were over and the sentences passed, people seemed to remember that the prisoners were human beings. Mrs. Penny was happy about the sympathy shown her son, but she divined what it connoted. Tom was sure to die. To his letter he had appended a postscript, which served to lift her heavy heart. Father Donnelly came to me when no one else was interested. He was concerned about my soul. He brought me books, took great care and interest in teaching me truth, so that now I believe all that the Catholic Church teaches. That is one reason why I was baptized into the Catholic Church. It is not so unlike your church, Mother. And we both know that if we live right we can get to heaven, so don't ever worry about my hereafter, Mother. I'll never go wrong again. As she laid the letter on her lap, Mrs. Penny knew the greatest gift her boy had received this holiday season was from God. It was faith. The new year was hardly out of the womb when Mrs. Penny was climbing the dozen stone steps which led to Fayette County Jail, to see her son for the first time since his trouble. Roger McGurk, the guard who had become Tom's godfather, led her to the visitor's room, closed the door, quickly turned the key, and resolutely walked away. Not a word was spoken, but a lifetime of love, a full and complete pardon, and a veritable world of sympathy were in the mother's embrace. Then came a sob that sounded the deeper abyss. A second sob made Tom draw back. Then, with a steady hand, he lifted his mother's head and smiled. Come, mother, keep that chin up. An hour went by, then another. They chatted, almost feverishly but that night neither could tell what the other had said. Lips had spoken, but only hearts had listened. Mrs. Penny knew that some new and strange strength had come to Tom. She found him utterly unafraid. There was no blind hope to which he clung. The serenity he radiated gave the mother a strange joy, and sent her home with a new strength. That visit changed life for Mrs. Leona Penny. Unconsciously, she now went around with her chin up, not ten days passed before she was climbing those stone steps again, and this time there were words which each heard and understood. There was also a pie she had baked. February came, and Tom wrote that things were even better at the jail. For now they were not locked in their cells until eight o'clock at night, and lights didn't go out until nine. On the eleventh of the month, the ever more reconciled mother visited him again, and had a long chat about the appeal his lawyers were making. When Tom spoke of a new trial, a slender streak of light broke on the horizon that had been black, and Mrs. Penny hugged hope to her heart. 
Two days later, however, she received a letter in a familiar hand, but with a most unfamiliar postmark. Eddyville, Kentucky. It was dated February 12, 1942. She opened it nervously and felt her heart leap at the cold blue heading. Kentucky State Penitentiary stared at her from the large sheet. She read anxiously. I certainly am glad I saw you yesterday, for I had to leave this morning at 5.30. I knew nothing about it myself until I was on my way. It is much different here from up there. I am in a cell by myself, no one to talk to or play cards with. But, honey, I'll bear it if you promise not to worry. I can't receive anything to eat or read, no cigarettes or tobacco of any kind. The only thing I can receive are stamps and money. It certainly was a shock to me this morning when they called me and told me to get ready. I did not get to say goodbye to anyone, much as I would have loved to. Please don't worry and keep your chin up. Mrs. Penny had not dried the tears caused by this shock when Father Donnelly was opening a letter from the same inmate of Death Row. Dear Father, Well, the thing I dreaded most has finally come to pass. I was transferred this morning from Lexington to Eddyville State Prison. It all came as a surprise, just as I knew that it would. But I did get to see Mother Wednesday afternoon. Thank God for that. I haven't been here long enough to know much about the place, but from what I've seen, I don't like it, although the officials are splendid. I'm going to miss the nuns, yourself, and Father Sullivan. I understand a priest comes here from Paducah twice a month. I am the only Catholic in death row at present, for Anderson is still as stubborn as ever. I know the trouble with him now. I know it is too far for you to come here, Father, but you must write to me. You have no idea how it helps. My mailing list is very limited, but I hope to write to Sister Mary Laurentia and Sister Robert Ann. The priest pushed a litter of papers, letters, a magazine, and an open theology book to one side of his ever-untidy desk laid Tom's single sheet before him, and studied it paragraph by paragraph. He got down to the one telling of the Catholic priest coming but twice a month. When he read the first sentence of the next paragraph, his fist struck the desk. Oh, no, Tom, it's not too far for me. It's too late today. I have confessions tomorrow. Then comes Sunday. But Monday is another day. It was a long, dreary drive in desolate mid-February weather. The approach to the penitentiary seemed bleak and forbidding. The great stone edifice itself appeared angrily scowling. The formalities of winning entrance to visit one in the death house were depressing and irritated somewhat the tired priest. But finally he was led across a yard into a building that was clearly an annex. The guard took him along a row of cells, the like of which he had never seen before, and stopped before a door that was not only heavily barred, but thickly screened. The priest could not see in, but when the guard cried, Penny, Father George recognized the answering voice. He moved closer to the screen. Tom, I'm here, but this is worse than visiting a Carmelite. I've got to see you, boy. Just a second. I'll be back. I'm going to tell the warden. I simply must violate your cloister. Father George, was all Tom could say to the retreating footsteps. The giant Jess Buchanan knew men and recognized character when he saw it. He smiled on Father George, told him he was asking a lot, but ordered the guard to let him in. Back to death row they went. 
the long long bolt that locks every cell at once was shot and father george's hands were on tom penny's shoulders a second later tom had pulled down the bunk which folded back against the wall being hung there from two chains will it hold the two of us asked father george with a laugh when tom invited him to sit if it doesn't it will never be broken in a more worthy cause oh father how did you ever make it will you stay overnight i'm only a little assistant curate tom i must be back in covington long before midnight but that's impossible we must be three hundred miles from there not bad reckoning tom i drove two hundred and eighty-nine miles coming down but i'll make it never fear now tell me all about yourself as they talked father george took in every detail of the tiny cell it was narrow windowless solid concrete the wall bunk was the biggest thing in it almost the only thing in it a commode in the corner completed the furnishings no table no chair no stool the priest smiled at the ingenious arrangement the prisoner had made for his books and letters and laughed aloud when tom caught him measuring the length of the cell with his eye don't tell the guard father he whispered but when i want to change my mind i turn a somersault the priest marvelled at the high spirits of the man for he saw that such a cell was an ideal contrivance to drive wildly insane any one with the semblance of a claustrophobia tom had many questions to ask about religion his duties to god in such circumstances his prayers and private devotions his trials and temptations his difficulties with some of the books he had read before they knew it an hour and a half had slipped by oh tom i must say hello to bob and baxter go to it father i think we ought to leave baxter in what you called invincible ignorance that will be his only way to heaven but you must work on bob he is still stubborn and if he will yield to any man you're the man now how about holy communion for me i'll tell the warden you desire to receive and that father libes should be informed i don't think there'll be any difficulty they parted with that father george blessed him and promised to see him soon the next day tom wrote his mother father donnelly came yesterday he sure has stuck with me mother i almost worship that man he always knows just what to say and how to say it i feel at home with him perfectly at ease and don't you go having any doubts about me being ready mother here is one thing i want you to remember always regardless of my past i am clean at last and now death holds no terror for me a coward dies a thousand times a brave man dies but once a week later when father donnelly called on her she showed him the latest letter from eddyville in it tom told of the stay that had been granted and the appeals that had been filed that was cheering news but she asked the priest about a postscript which puzzled her mother if you should see anything in the papers you do not understand please don't worry about it you will understand in time it will have its purpose promise me father george read it twice and shook his head it's beyond me but let's both trust tom from south spring street the priest went to st joseph's hospital that warden must be a nice person said sister mary laurentia he let tom have the three-pound box of candy i sent then had tom tell me i must send no more tom hasn't much liberty now has he the priest shook his head then described the cell in which he had found the boy 
"'What can we do for him, Father?' Sister Robert Ann cried. "'Pray, write, send plenty of good reading matter.' Father George garnered no information from the nuns on the one thing that bothered him, that postscript to his mother's letter. He knew that almost anything can be conceived by a man in solitary confinement. A vague fear was growing in him, but he was not telling the sisters about it. He quickly resolved to be on the road to Eddyville soon again. That resolution was reduced to action a few days later when a letter came saying that Father Libs had been to the prison on Wednesday, but had talked with Tom only through the door of his cell, saying that he would not be able to bring Holy Communion until, as Tom put it, the worst comes to the worst. The visit to Eddyville was short, for Father George was anxious to talk to Father Tom Libs in the rectory at Paducah. It was a pleasant chat until the subject of communicating the prisoner was broached. Then was revealed to Father George Donnelly another of those bewilderingly strange ways of God, that drawing of a soul into closer union by first seeming to abandon it, that building of love's fires by first seeming to withdraw all love's glowing embers, that peculiar process whereby the divinity seems to work on the human adage that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Before leaving Paducah, Father George feared that Tom Penny would be without Holy Communion for many a day. Father Libs was a very busy curate, and Eddyville was visited only once a month. Furthermore, Father Tom Libs was not convinced of Tom Penny's sincerity. He had cited cases of fraud, and told Father George of the skepticism a prison chaplain develops. As he drove home the long, lonely 280 miles, Father Donnelly realized he had failed with Father Tom Libs, and failed even with Tom Penny. For while he had not persuaded the priest to communicate the prisoner, he had also forgotten to ask Tom Penny about that puzzling postscript in the last letter he had written his mother. But then a more harassing problem occupied his mind as he covered the bleak miles at a perilous speed. How was he to direct this lone man in a solitary cell without sacrament or sacrifice? He got his answer before the month was out. Sister Robert Ann, without any knowledge that Tom was without sacramental communion, had the happy inspiration of instructing him how to make a spiritual communion. Sister Mary Laurentia, conscious of the Lenten season, sent him a set of small stations with suggestions for their use. On his next visit to Lexington, the priest was presented with letters that not only filled him with happiness, but with the determination to collect all Tom's letters and to study God's ways with a human soul. Sister Robert Ann wanted a line in her letter explained. Tom had written, Thanks for the calendar, sister. I had tried all over to get one and failed, but now I can settle all arguments. I have a calendar, a dictionary, and by far the best pair of lungs. The others haven't a chance. Father George told her how prisoners in solitary confinement carry on conversation. They yell through the walls. When the nun asked what kind of arguments they had, the priest smiled and said, You'll soon find out. But with Sister Mary Laurentia, the process was reversed. She had to explain to Father George a line in her letter. Tom was thanking her for a three-pound box of candy. I thought he told you not to send any more. He did, Father, but a good nurse never obeys patients, and Tom is my patient. My first duty is to see that he is comfortable. Warden Buchanan knows that nuns will never send him anything that is not good for him. I sent him cigars along with the candy. He got both. Father George laughed and then read aloud the letter to Sister Mary Laurentia. 
It was dated Easter Sunday, April 5th, 1942. Dear Sister, This certainly has been a beautiful day. Although I could only glimpse a wee bit of sunshine through a barred window, I rejoiced in the knowledge that others more fortunate than I were enjoying it. I have spent the day very quietly, reading and thinking, and there seems to be so very many things I never thought of before. Sister, I find the stations a great comfort. I have them in a position that gives me constant view. My pains and sufferings are small in comparison. In fact, so small, I can't even think of my own. I comply with your request on Good Friday many times, sister. I imagine I join you in your prayers in the wee hours of the morning. I have no way of knowing the hour at any time, but that is my intention. Sometimes I am retiring about the time you are rising. The days, you see, are noisy, so I sleep most of the day. We have the radio from 5 to 9.30 p.m. Then all is quiet. I may turn my light on and off as I please. I imagine Father Donnelly will visit me soon. I haven't heard from him in two weeks. I have missed him terribly. He is so busy, I hate to see him drive so far, but I know he will come anyhow. Father Libs will be here the 8th, Wednesday. Mrs. Lewis sent me two prayer books and The Faith of Our Fathers. Words are so futile, my feeble efforts could never reveal to you my spiritual attitude. So let me just say, my future lies with God. In him I place my love and faith. May his will be done. I pray continuously for better understanding and a deeper devotion to him. Father George handed the letter back, saying, Now I want you to know the kind of letters I receive. He drew a sheet from an inside pocket, unfolded it, and read, I have a pet roach, a large one, too. He eats with me, and I have caught him on my bed several times. I just can't keep him out of my candy. But, Father, he won't learn anything at all. He won't even run the right way. He's as dumb as I am. How does he keep his cheerful spirits? exclaimed Sister Robert Ann. The priest put out his hands. Sisters, I'm collecting letters. I want to see how cheerful Tom has been. How about it? Late one night in May, Father George packed his meerschaum, swept aside the usual litter on his desk, and began with the first letter he had received from Tom Penny. He completed his little pile, then turned to the larger set addressed to the nuns. The tone was distinctly different, though the matter treated was frequently the same. The priest smiled. Was there chivalry in this man who had been condemned as a murderer? It was nearing midnight when he laid the last letter down. His pipe needed repacking. As he tamped in the tobacco, he marveled at the way Tom Penny's soul had grown, and wondered if he had not detected a definite plan to the process. He lit up, took pencil, and began jotting. Contrition and Gratitude To me, March 22nd It is a great consolation to have the opportunity to see, recognize, and admit my mistakes. I cannot erase them before the eyes of men, but there is not a day or a night that I do not ask forgiveness from God. To Sister Robert Ann, February 22nd. I have buried my past and think only of the future. Sister, there is nothing on earth that can shake my faith now. I close with my very best wishes and sincere gratitude. Desire to do God's will and compassion for Christ. To Sister M. Laurentia, February 22nd. This moving business was a great surprise to everyone, but it was God's will, as I firmly believe. And since that is my greatest desire, I have no complaint. 
March 5th. I receive the medal, sister, and I pray God, if it is his holy will, that I may wear it as long as you have, and do equally as many good deeds, loving and serving him with my whole heart and soul, every day, every hour, and every moment until my last heartbeat. To Sister Robert Ann, April 5th. Sister, I find the stations a great comfort. I have them in a position that gives me constant view. My pains and sufferings are small in comparison. In fact, so small, I can't even think of my own. To Sister M. Laurentia, April 5th. I comply with your request on Good Friday many times, Sister. In him I place my love and trust. May his will be done. I pray continuously for a better understanding and deeper devotion to him. Father George was sure there was a plan to it all when he began the letters of May, for he saw that if Lent had been used by God to make Tom Penny conscious of Christ's passion, the month of May was used almost exclusively to arouse devotion to Christ's mother. So he jotted on another sheet. May, devotion to Our Lady, prayer. To me, May 6th. Father, I am devoting most of my time this month to our Blessed Mother, the Rosary three times daily, the Litany of Our Lady, the Thirty-Day Prayer, and many others, along with much meditation. If I fail in any way, surely it is my own fault, for the sisters have provided me with material enough to educate a nitwit. To Sister Emilentia, May 1st. I will start the month by writing to you. It is now somewhere near 2 a.m. Friday and I have said my rosary once, the evening prayer to the Blessed Virgin, the litany to Our Lady. I do that every day now. You'll laugh at the evening prayer at 2 a.m., but I haven't slept yet, so this is evening to me. When I awake, I say all the prayers I know by heart. You see, I have nothing else to do but pray and read, write and draw. To Sister Robert Ann, May 14th. Sister, devotion to our Blessed Mother came quite natural to me from the first. I don't find it difficult to meditate on the mysteries while saying the rosary. I can even close my eyes and see them. I usually complete the fifteen mysteries, sister, unless interrupted. My beads are my favorites, sister. I go to sleep with them. They avert my mind from many unpleasant things. The picture of Our Lady that I drew I placed on the wall at the head of my bed so that she may watch over me while I sleep. I use no model. It is nine by twelve, but only half view. I certainly will draw one for each of you two sisters, but nine by twelve would be too large for your prayer books, wouldn't it? To Sister M. Laurentia, May 27th. I shall be very happy to see you, sister. I don't know how you conceive the idea that I might not be too anxious to see you, but you are not altogether wrong. It was not of myself I was thinking. It is the visiting regulations that prevent me from encouraging anyone to come and see me. We will pray our Blessed Mother to obtain a special privilege for us on this occasion, shall we? Many requests she has granted me, sister, and I do not fail to return thanks. I am sending two drawings. Someone asked why I did not draw her smiling. I cannot picture her smiling, sister. She smiles in her heart. And to prove to you I am not an artist, let me tell you the poor fellow did not know who it was I was trying to portray. So praise me, only for my good intentions. Father George shook his head knowingly. Indeed, there was definite plan here. He saw now why Tom Penny had been hurried off to Eddyville. Solitude was unknown in Fayette County Jail. If Tom Penny was to find himself in God in that intimacy, which alone means sanctity, 
he had to be taken from the environment of lexington and placed where he could think not only with his mind but with his heart he needed solitude the priest sat back and pictured to himself the little cement hole in the wall which was now tom penny's world and saw it as the one place in all creation god had chosen to hold rendezvous with the man the world called a murderer again that silken white head nodded knowingly to his priestly discernment these letters revealed the fact that tom penny was soon to die they told him that god was preparing the man as only a loving god can but now a frown gathered above father george's staring blue eyes somewhat uneasily he bent forward and took up the letters again to study tom's attitude toward death in a letter addressed to himself on april twenty ninth he read bob and baxter have very strong hopes of getting out they talk as if they wouldn't need god then all i can say is that if it breaks a man's spirit to believe in god then i do not believe for my spirit certainly is not broken but i have changed my point of view completely i simply could not care for the things i once did if the next to impossible should happen and i am permitted to live i know with absolute surety i could never go back to the old life some people seem to think that i want to die they are sadly mistaken but if i must die then it is god's holy will and i will try very hard to walk to my death with my chin up and my step unfaltering what more can i do after reading that father george felt more relieved among the letters to the nuns he found a few passages that increased this relief he continued making notes to sister robert ann may twenty second have had some people say to me mr penny how can you laugh and joke the way you do knowing that this terrible thing is almost on you i did not tell them that the only people who fear death are those who do not understand the love of god because they were supposed to be religious people and i would not offend them but that is the answer sister to sister in Laurentia, may twenty seventh my most earnest desire is to die an honourable death if that cannot be accomplished then his holy will be done i do not fear death sister it is only the unworthy cause for which i die that i detest as the priest was rearranging the letters in a neat pile his eye was caught by a passage in one addressed to himself on may twenty seventh why did i so willingly so determinedly accept the true faith ah father it is easy for me to answer from the very beginning i knew you were interested in my soul not curious about a criminal you explained to me the love of god and the joys of heaven and not the fear of the devil and the torments of hell you gave me all the warm marks of friendship until my knowledge of you deepened and developed and finally glowed into a high admiration but you were always working to give me one thing a deep and ever-increasing love for god and our beloved lord jesus christ not so bad thought father george but ruffled through the pages until he found a letter of april sixteenth addressed to both nuns simultaneously and read it is now two a m soon you will begin a new day you know sisters i once thought that nuns were the saddest people on earth how could i ever dream they were the happiest but now i know and what a wonderful revelation has been i think i told you once that mr price was responsible for my conversion he did start me thinking seriously but the climax came after one of your visits to the jail in which you told me of the circumstances under which father donnelly came to see me that day i said to myself here is father donnelly driving over a hundred miles to see me 
here are two sisters who inconvenience themselves to come to this foul jail just to see me surely there is no earthly compensation in it for them so there must be yes there must be something about me worth saving i am going to save it father george was smiling as he put the cold meerschaum on the overfilled ash-tray and gathered his notes at one time he did harbor the notion that he had played an important role in the conversion of tom penny now at two fifteen a m he set the three closely written pages to one side telling himself he could retire from the case without a qualm so long as the two nuns stayed on the job god had a definite plan as he slipped into his pajamas he said you've done a wonderful work lord just as he was falling off to sleep the memory of the postscript in tom's letter to his mother in late february or early march came back to the priest all these weeks it had remained unexplained now it rose like a cloud to move across the tranquil beauty of a night sky and mar the pale loveliness of the moon what could have been in the boy's mind father george shifted on his side oh god he prayed let nothing go wrong end of chapter five